The Once and Future Nerd Book One Princes of Jordan Chapter Two Life in a Corner Episode Three Brennan dreamt of an infinite table. Well, we've already covered the limitations of the human mind, etc., etc. He dreamt of an incomprehensibly long table. This particular table was set for an ahem, infinite number of guests. But only three figures sat around the table. Brennan sat alone on one side. Across from him sat a young girl. Her appearance was exactly the same as it was in Brennan's previous dream, down to the eerily serene look and gaping puncture wound. Beside her sat a figure composed entirely of white light. A golden halo sat on its head. Between Brennan and the two figures sat a large, ornate silver platter which one would expect to hold the main course of the banquet. This platter held the beautiful bird. The bird was splayed out on the silver as if stuffed and roasted, yet clearly still alive. It lifted its graceful red and gold neck and looked directly at Brennan. The bird's obsidian eyes caught Brennan's brown ones for a brief moment before the bird weakly lowered its head. The girl spoke. There are seven things you must know to save me. The second thing is, the king has loved my enemy. From the darkness behind the girl and the creature of light, a third figure materialized, the nightmare demon, the indescribable horror. Neither the girl nor the figure of light could see the demon behind them. In the fashion of nightmares, Brennan found himself unable to act, unable to warn the girl, unable to tear his eyes away from the demon. Almost casually, the demon extended a clawed hand and tore out the throat of the figure of light. The horror carefully lifted the golden halo off of the light and placed it on its own head. As soon as the gold touched the dark skull, the figure of light disappeared. The demon lifted the bird off of the table, its red and gold wings protesting weakly. As the demon tore off the bird's head with its teeth, the golden halo turned red and blood poured down the demon's face. The sun had barely appeared over the horizon the next morning when Brennan entered the barn. Good morning, old man. Regan was sitting the final watch by the door. Have you seen your charming dear friend? He seems to have disappeared. You are aware that farmers do actually have business to attend to sometimes. This early? Keith Kelly had business to attend to. Keith Kelly? The one back at the rat that sold me out? Whose face I set on fire before I drowned him in his own blood? I've been killing men since before your mother was a coin in some street urchin's pocket. 
Captain Briarhelm served under me in four campaigns. But he did. You think you can frighten me with threats of violence? Or him? So do you two still fuck? You impudent little horse whelp. You know nothing. I don't care what you put your cock in, Brennan. I'd just rather know beforehand. Secrets and spurned lovers are a bad combination. Secrets and disrespectful children are even worse. Good luck training your fierce warriors up there. With that, Regan turned and left the barn. Brennan stood in silence for a moment, marinating in his anger. After a deep breath, he turned to the task at hand. Everyone up. Three minutes to get dressed and armed. Some twenty minutes later, the group stood in their best guess at a military formation in the field outside the barn. Their best guess was woefully inadequate. Billy was wearing an odd mix of his old football gear and his new mail, with the extra pieces in a heap at his feet. Jen's hair was dreadfully tangled in her new armour. Even Nelson's armour was dishevelled, in that some buckles were belted to the third hole and some to the fourth. You should understand that had we been ambushed, you would all be dead right now. It's my understanding that knights would usually have squires to help them put on armour. We don't. Plan accordingly. I'm just saying, I think we did pretty well for our first attempt. As if to defy Nelson's claim, the codpiece of Billy's armour chose this moment to clatter loudly to the ground. With a sigh, Brennan set to work. The first lesson was in the use of sword and shield. Nelson, try to strike Billy. Billy, try to block it. Nelson needed both hands to even get his sword off the ground. With a great heave, he managed to swing the weapon towards Billy. The motion spun Nelson's entire body in a circle, and he nearly fell from the effort. Billy hefted the weight of the sword more comfortably, but no more correctly. As Nelson's swing slowly approached Billy, Billy managed to move his own sword into the path to block the blow. The swords clashed. Rather, they would have clashed if either combatant had any strength or skill behind their blows. Instead, the swords made rather dull thud. Wrong! How do you think they blunted those swords? Block with your shield. That's what it's for. If you absolutely must block with your sword, try to deflect the blow. Come, Billy. The old general made an exaggeratedly slow swing of his own sword directly at Billy's shield. Billy smiled at his perceived success. Better. Again. Brennan took another swing at Billy, and then another, and another. Billy's use of the shield was surprisingly not abysmal, until the weight of the metal and the shock of the blows began to drag on his shield arm. In a few seconds, he was struggling even to hold the shield, but Brennan would not relent. The old general continued to batter Billy's shield until he dropped it entirely. One sharp tap to the top of the helmet, and Billy was flat on his back on the ground, breathing heavily. I thought you said you were an athlete. Brennan quickly realized the futility of teaching the finer points of swordsmanship at this moment, and assigned them the task of working on their arm strength instead. Billy found a suitable beam inside the barn and set to repeatedly hefting his own weight against it in a tactic he called a pull-up. Nelson and Jen were resting beside the barn when Nia approached. Are we going to learn any magic? The general wants you to learn some basic fighting skills quickly. 
You won't get far with magic in just a few days. Well, I don't exactly think we're cut out for broadswords. I don't know. I might be able to get it if I work out a little more. Let's face it, Jen. Neither of us is what you picture when you think famous swordsman. I see your point. Have a seat. And so the day of training continued. In the nearby forest, a rabbit. In fact, a distant descendant of the venerable Mr. Fluffy Toes did honor to his ancestor by participating in the noble task of creating new rabbits. This is not particularly relevant to our story, but is more interesting than describing 10 hours of practice with sword and shield. The children worked hard and slept well. The next morning, they reacted to Brennan's three-minute wake-up call in a mere eight minutes. Getting better. Today you might even have had time to beg for mercy before your enemy delivered his killing strike. Thus convened another rather boring day of training. Brennan continued to drill the children in basic sword work. Their skills slowly improved from embarrassing to simply dreadful. They earned a break for lunch, and then in the afternoon Nia began to teach the children about her abilities. We are in Jordan, the physical world. Selberin is the spiritual world. Everything in the Yordic plane, the wind, the sea, the rocks, everything, has a counterpart in Selberin. Almost like a reflection. Each Yordic object is bound to the will of its Selberic counterpart. Or more accurately, uh, never mind, let's stay sketchy. The Yordic ocean is wet because the Selberic ocean wills it to be so. To use what you call magic is to bend the will of other things to your own. In the tavern, I wanted the beer to be cold, so I reached out to its Selbrick essence and bent its will to my own. Awesome. What spells can we cast right now? You mustn't try spell casting without extensive study beforehand. It would be extremely dangerous. But what if one of us was the anointed one, like in Brennan's dream? I can't claim to know. You're saying water has a will. Yes, but it's not that simple. Imagine cutting a drop of water in half. Imagine cutting the halves in half. Imagine cutting a drop of water into parts so small that smaller parts would not be water. Molecules. Oslets, they are called. Each oslet in a drop of water has a will. Together they comprise the will of the drop. And the wills of all the drops of water comprise the will of the sea. So what about those rabbits over there? Or, or even a person? People are made of mol... oslets? Can you force people to your will the way you force the beer? Living things certainly have a Selberic essence, but it seems their wills cannot be bent. The scholarship disagrees on why, though this is actually the subject of my research. Some have suggested that enough oslets bound together may form a sort of wall, greater than the sum of its parts. Scripture calls it the uncorruptible soul. Incredible. That's what I've been trying to tell you guys about the rich mythology. No, no, I, I mean that they've developed basic atomic theory and an emergent theory of consciousness. An emergency of what now? It's a footnote in the bio textbook. That evening, having been dismayed by what she saw earlier, Regan took her turn at instruction. She fought with her own sword, a modification of the Mooncrest style. The blade was thin razor sharp on one edge. Billy actually managed to get his shield in the way of each strike. Not bad. 
You're bleeding, though. What? Where? Billy dropped his shield, using his now free arm to feel around for a cut. Regan took that opportunity to flick her blade almost too fast to see. A drop of blood welled up on Billy's left cheek. Your cheek. Regan called Nelson in for his first lesson just after dinner. Nelson returned with a cut on his left cheek and also a peculiar stumble to his gait, a telltale sign of Regan's preferred fighting style. What happened to you? I was unscrupulously deceived. Your turn, girly. Can you make me some ice, please? Of course, child. Jen only shook slightly as she went off into the woods with the armed woman. But when Regan began swinging her blade, Jen held her own with the shield. Not bad. You're bleeding, though. Nice try. <laughs> Good girl. I thought you were smarter than you let on. Billy, put your clothes back on. Huh? As you might have guessed, Billy was nowhere to be seen. Instead, Regan grabbed Jen's hair, pulled her close, and nicked her left cheek with the tip of her blade. More free advice. Lose the hair and your little gamecock. One of them will get you killed. At the end of the fourth day of training, Billy's skills had progressed enough so that he could nearly keep pace with Brennan's drills. Block, bash, strike, recover. Block, bash, strike, recover. Eventually, however, he still flagged. At the end of one particular drill, as Billy's shield arm slowed, Brennan changed the pattern slightly by throwing a mailed fist directly at Billy's face. The punch stopped a mere whisper's length away from Billy's still quite broken nose. Their skilled armed combat. Form matters, but at the end of the day, you're still just breaking a man's body until he's dead. Never forget that, lad. Meanwhile, Jen and Nelson had resumed their instruction with Nia. So how do you bend the wills of other things? You must commune with Selberin. Some, like myself, find this easier with the aid of a holy object. She held aloft her staff. Others may use song. Summoners employ a familiar from Selberin. Okay, but none Wait, of this- Wait, you're telling me I'm not only in a place where I can become an actual wizard, but I can do it by communing with demons and spirits and shit? Demons. Something about the word demon nagged at Jen's memory. It somehow related to a nearly forgotten lecture from Valley Central High School. Summoning is not to be undertaken lightly. There are dark and chaotic forces in Selberin as well as benevolent ones. Summoners train for years before their first conjuration to make sure they only contact the forces they want. As Nelson became enraptured by the talk of spirits, Jen recalled something about a philosopher named Maxwell. And there are some summoners who intentionally contact the forces of destruction. She focused intently on a patch of dry grass. I say truly, they lose their souls in the process. What about incantations? Some mages find them useful for focusing their minds. Through her concentration, Jen thought she could detect a tiny wisp of smoke rising from the dry foliage. Nelson, are you still up to teacher's ass? Jen's concentration was immediately broken, and the wisp of smoke, if indeed it existed, was gone. What are you doing over here, Jenny? She's telling us about emergent theories of consciousness. Huh? <laughs> uh, something, something I saw in CSI. Oh yeah, that show's gay. Later that evening, Jen and Billy had once again retreated to the privacy of the hayloft. Billy was vigorously applying saliva to Jen's face. 
Jen's facial expression indicated her mind was elsewhere. How would you feel if I cut my hair? What? Like, if I cut my hair short. We have to talk about this now? Well, I was just thinking about it a lot today. Billy, for once, sensed that there was no recovering the amorous mood. Frustrated, he disentangled himself from Jen. Like how short? Like lesbian short? I don't know, like Regan short? Is that where this is coming from? You want to be like Regan now? No. God, no. I don't want to be like her, but she knows how to survive around here. Maybe short hair is smart. I'm scared, Billy. I don't make you feel safe? No, I didn't mean anything about- Fine. Cut your hair then. <sighs> what? Cut it. I need some fresh air. Jen turned and stormed down the ladder, as much as one can storm down a ladder. Alone, she paced under the moon and stars. She paced and paced, and the full moon climbed from the horizon up to its apex. Finally, she stopped pacing. Jen grabbed her hair in a fist and pulled it in front of her face. She stared at her beautiful locks for a long moment. With a sigh, she drew the knife from the hilt at her waist and brought the blade up to the base of her ponytail. She was just about to chop it all off when a dirty hand grabbed her wrist. A second hand roughly covered Jen's mouth, preventing her from screaming. With frightening skill, the one hand twisted Jen's wrist until her grip on the knife loosened. The hand then grabbed the knife and placed it firmly at Jen's throat. A stranger's voice hissed at her. Hello, lovely. For additional information and bonus content, access onceandfuturenerd.com on your computer machine. The Once and Future Nerd is written and created by Zach Glass and Christian Madeira. It is performed by Garrett Armin, Hayes Dunlop, Anya Gibeon, Ian Harkins, Emily Cook, Frank Queris, Julie Reed, Perry Strong, and Dylan Uremovich. It is co-executive produced by Jess Kelly and directed and edited by Christian Madeira. Production sound engineering is done by Gary O'Keefe, with dialogue editing and foley by Tommy Stang, and post-production mixing and sound design by Sandra Ramirez. Theme music is composed by Tom Lee. Thanks for downloading 